everyone. And if you could turn in your Bibles to John chapter 1, uh, verses uh, uh, verse uh, 19, and we're going to read through verse 34 today. And I promise you that we will finish the first chapter of John. We've It's our sixth message in John's Gospel. We um, are looking at uh, many wonderful things about Christ that we've learned in this first chapter. I, I want to, to remind you and um, to give you a perspective on it. And you might say, well, Jim, you, you spent a long time in one chapter and you, you, you hang on a lot of words. And, and, and it's really important that we see it this way because the Bible is God's word. And it's God's instruction to us. And, and we can hang on these words. They are powerful words. In this chapter of John, we, we've seen amazing things about Jesus. And we're going to see an amazing thing today about him. And John teaches us through the testimony of John the Baptist more about who Jesus is. So let's read it together and then we'll talk about it. John chapter 1, 19 through 34. This is John's testimony when Jew, the Jews from Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him, who are you? Now they're asking, who is John the Baptist? He did not refuse to answer, but he declared, I am not the Messiah. What then, they asked him, are you Elijah? I'm not, he said. Are you the prophet? No, he answered. Who are you then, they asked. We need to give an answer to those who sent us. Who can tell us about yourself? He said, I am a voice crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, just as Isaiah the prophet said. Now they've been sent from the Pharisees, so they asked him, Why do you baptize if you are not the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet? I baptize with water, John answered them. But someone stands among you. You don't know him. He is the one coming after me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to untie. All this happened in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I told you about. After me comes a man who has surpassed me because he existed before me. I didn't know him, but I came baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I watched the spirit descending from heaven like a dove and he rested on him. He didn't, I didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water told me the one you see the spirit descending and resting on. He is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testified that he is the son of God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Speak to us clearly today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are introduced by John the Apostle to John the Baptist. John the Baptist would be a witness. I want to talk to you about really two divisions in this section of scripture. It's the messenger and the message. And we will learn a lot about John the Baptist. Uh, I want to give you a little review of him. And just so you know who he is. John the Baptist, of course, was born several months before Jesus was born. He was conceived to older parents. His parents, Elizabeth and Zechariah. Zechariah were uh, older, beyond childbearing age. And God appeared to Elizabeth, or John appeared. I mean, the Holy Spirit appeared to his father in the temple. His father was a priest and told him that he would have a son. And so Zacharias was so stunned by this that he questioned the Holy Spirit. And um, 
God struck him silent, made him silent until after the baby was born. So if God ever speaks to you and tells you something, don't fight back on it. And that's what Zacharias, he, he couldn't believe that God would make him a father at that advanced age. And so he, they conceived a child. Uh, as the child grew in the womb, Mary, of course, conceived Jesus in her womb, and she came to visit Elizabeth, who was her relative, probably a second cousin or so, and he came to, she came to visit, and when Jesus in the womb met John the Baptist in the womb, the baby John jumped with joy, and so already before he was born, he was aware and knew who Jesus was. I, I want to tell you this and remind you of this in Luke's gospel, because if you ever think that babies become babies when they're born, then read that account. If you don't read anything else in the Bible, then read that account. Babies are human beings that God used and and worked with long before they were born. And then we see in, in um, um, Luke's uh, gospel, I'm going to read this to you, uh, as as John the Baptist was uh, eight days old and he was taken to the temple to be circumcised and said, now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth. This is chapter one, verse 57 of Luke. She had a son and her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown for his great mercy and they rejoiced for her. And when they came to circumcise the child on the eighth day, they were going to name him Zachariah after his father. But his mother responded, no, he'll be called John. And then they said to her, none of your relatives has that name. So they motioned to the father to find out what he wanted to be called. And of course, he couldn't write. So he asked for a writing tablet and he said, call him John. And they were all amazed. And immediately his father's Zacharias mouth was opened and his tongue set free. And he began to speak, praising God. Fear came on all those who lived around them and all those uh, things were being talked about throughout the country. And all who heard about him took it to heart, saying, what then will this child become? And so the Bible tells us what he would become. His job would be to preach and to pave the way for the Messiah. John the Baptist, like Jesus, grew up in obscurity. His teen years, we don't know anything about him. When he was probably 29 or 30 years old, he shows up in the Gospels preaching a message of baptism by repentance. And that was pretty unique in the days of the Jews. Here you have this fellow that grew up in the desert. He probably was segregated from people. They said he wore just animal cloths and ate locusts. He was a pretty, pretty primitive guy. And he goes to the Jordan River and he tells everybody that you gotta be, you gotta repent of your sins and make what ready for the one who's coming after me. And that's what John the Baptist did. And hundreds and hundreds of people came to him. His ministry was very, very popular. And so that sets the stage. For this encounter with John um, that we see today. So we'll go back to John's gospel and look at this this text. Uh, what we see here is after John had been working in the desert. And the context of this is that probably a day or so after Jesus had been baptized. Then this event occurs. And so the Pharisees sent people from the temple in Jerusalem to come and ask John the Baptist who you are. And you can see all the questions they ask him. Who are you? What are you up to? And he said, I'm not the Messiah. John made it clear that he wasn't the main man. He says, are you Elijah? Are you a prophet? Are you, are you coming back to, to bring the victory of Israel that's promised? He said, no, I'm not that either. He says, are you a prophet? He said, no, I'm not a prophet. He says, who are you then? And he says, I am a voice crying out in the wilderness. 
Make straight the way of the Lord. He was making a way for Jesus. That's what his purpose was. So I want to look at a couple of things about John that are important. And then I want to spend most of my time talking about what John told us about Jesus. I, I want you to know that it's important to be a good witness. And here's John's message. Here's, here's what he said. He knew something about Jesus and he put Jesus first. Listen to verse 15. Uh, back up in, in the prologue, he says, John exclaimed concerning Jesus and exclaimed, he was the one on whom I said, the one coming after me has surpassed me because he existed before me. Now, if you think just a moment, John is recognizing the eternal nature of Jesus because Jesus, uh, uh, he, he actually, uh, John was born before Jesus was chronologically, but John is acknowledging that Christ was eternal. He was born before him. And and verses 26 and 27, we see that John gave his mission. He said, I baptize with water. Somebody stands among you, and you don't know him. He's the one coming after me whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. Now, John had a big throng of people, a lot of attention, a lot of help, a lot of people around him. And he called his attention not to himself but to Jesus. He said, I'm not even worthy to tie his sandals. The guy coming after me is the most important. His life drew people to Jesus. And that's really significant because John could have had a great following. He had disciples. He had followers. He could have, he had people that could have stayed after him, but he pointed all of those folks to Christ. Our job as Christians is to point people to Jesus like that. And what a great testimony that John gives us in drawing people to Jesus. We do that by our example. We do that by what we say. We do that by the words that we speak to people. We do it by, by the way we love people. You know, you might, you might be the only person, the only, the only Bible that somebody will ever read. Somebody will see your life and they'll say, I know a Christian through you. I know a believer because I've seen you, what your life was like. My father passed away when I was 13. And, um, I, you know, I, you know how kids are. You don't really spend a lot of time with your dad until you're a little bit later a teenager. So I just begun to get to know my dad. But after he passed away, he was a Sunday school teacher and deacon in our church. And one of the men in our church came to me and he said, I want to tell you something about your dad. And I said, well, what is that? He said, You know, I didn't know a lot of Christians when I started sitting in your dad's Sunday school class. And he said, I learned what a Christian was like by the way he lived and taught. And I thought, that's a great example for a person. So what we want to do is we want to draw people to Christ by the way we act. Does your life do that? Do you, do you, we're witnesses for Jesus. AJ, the old hymn, and we thought, we talked about hymns this week, uh, let others see Jesus in you. And so I encourage you, John the Baptist, people saw Jesus in John the Baptist. And so let others see Jesus in you. Second point, and this is where I want to spend my time today. Jesus is the Lamb of God. And this is what John's message was about Jesus. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Listen to that again. Read read that in verse 29. Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The next day, you see that in your text, the day after, this is about a three-day event on these verses through uh, verse 42. The next day, John is out at the River Jordan baptizing people. Jesus walks up to him and comes up in the crowd, and he stops, and, and you can just picture this, and he says, here, right here, is the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Well, that's a stunning statement to someone you don't even know. 
And uh, John said, this is the one that I told you about. This is the one that I've been teaching you about. The Lamb of God. Let me, let me talk about that for a moment. If you, if you look here, you see Jesus with the lambs in our beautiful uh, stained glass windows. And I like to come in here sometimes and uh, I like to see these windows. We, uh, several years ago when we used to have a, a, the little kids from the daycare, we came in here and taught through these windows. They're, they're a real lesson, but Jesus is the Lamb of God. Think of a lamb is defenseless. It has no form of protection. It's pretty docile. It's not an aggressive animal. It doesn't bite, doesn't kick, doesn't do... Now, I guess if you pick one up, they might kick, but they're a pretty helpless animal. Uh, they're prey to a lot of different animals. They're easily killed. They're easily um, manhandled. So a lamb is a pretty helpless being. Uh, John said that Jesus is the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. Now, our concept of sin is a little bit bland compared to the Jewish concept of sin. Um, we don't think a lot about sin, to be honest with you. And we live in an age of grace and we've almost been taught that, well, it doesn't really matter what you do because you can be forgiven for it. And so we aren't too worried about our behavior in a lot of times. We don't think much about a little bit of dishonesty or if somebody cheats on their taxes. You know, some some folks, you, you'll hear good, respectable people joking about the way they get over on the government on their taxes. And I don't think you ought to give the government more than they, you shouldn't give them a donation. They're going to take all they want. But I think we should be fair and honest with the paying our taxes in the way that we're good citizens. Uh, we, we don't think much about lust and the long-range implications of that. We have justified adultery in our society. We almost make a game out of it. We almost make it a, a joke. And the idea that marriage is disregarded at, at a whim and people have no regard for the institution of marriage, gossip and unforgiveness, all, all of these things, we, we just take sin lightly. And, and I want to draw you back to what the Bible talks about it. And the, the Jewish person of the Old Testament understood that sin was a costly was a costly endeavor. Leviticus 17 tells us that sin can only be forgiven by blood. That sin is such a huge event that only way that sin can be made right is by blood. In other words, something alive has to die for the forgiveness of sins. Now, the Jews understood that because they sacrificed in the temple. They would sacrifice, if you didn't have a lot of money, doves and lambs and little goats uh, daily for sins, for the daily sins. They would once a year sacrifice a goat or a bull for the sins of the nation. I mean, sin was a huge idea. And if you take a live, unblemished animal and you slit its throat and see its blood pour out over the altar, you get an appreciation for what a big deal sin is. Uh, I have a I have a problem that I spill things on my shirts and stain them. If I wear a nice shirt, uh, if I get mustard around my shirt, Debbie, if I get mustard and I'm eating and I have something decent on, she'll say, put something on because you're going to mess that up. And because, you know, I'm, I'm not a cleaning person, but if you spill mustard on a white shirt, you're not going to get it out. It's not coming out. And I want you to think of that, that our sin is that permanent. That sin is so irreversible. It's such a big deal 
that it is nearly impossible to get it out of our life. That the Old Testament concept of sin is that sins could be forgiven if they were not intentional. Who commits unintentional sin? And and the sacrifices had to be redone daily for the sins that go on in a family within within the within the individual lives, and then annually for the sins of the nation. They they were they were ongoing. It was a it was a process of blood and sacrifice because sins were such a big deal. And John the Baptist says here that Jesus would come as the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. That's a big deal. It's not a careless statement that he says. And if we look back at the book of Isaiah, we begin to see what Isaiah tells us about Jesus. And we get this idea about Christ. Now, I I want you to understand, we're talking about Jesus. We're talking about the Son of God who was with God in the beginning, who created all things. And now John's introduced a whole new thing about Jesus. He said, he's the Lamb of God. So here is God's Son on the earth, and he's a lamb to be sacrificed Jesus didn't come to eliminate our sin by victory, by some military conquest. He came to be the sacrifice for our sin, to offer himself as a sacrifice. In Isaiah 53, it says he was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering. You knew what sickness was. He was oppressed and afflicted. In verse 7, he did not open his mouth like a lamb led to the slaughter, like a sheep silent before her shearers. He did not even open his mouth. So, so Christ is, is a helpless lamb to do the work that God called him to do. But I love over in the book of, of, um, Revelation. And if you ever, I know a lot of people are afraid of Revelation, but if you read through it, you see that it, the lamb, the word lamb is, is 28 times in the book of Revelation. Listen to chapter, to chapter five. It says, when he took the scroll, the four living elders, the creatures, this is the picture in heaven after after Christ has come for the church. He says, And the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp and gold bowls filled with incense, and they sang a new song. You're worthy to take the scroll to open the seals, because you redeemed God's people by your blood from every tribe and language and nation and people. And you made them a kingdom and priests to our nation, to our God, and they will reign on the earth. The Lamb who was slaughtered, is worthy to receive power and riches and wisdom and power, blessing and honor and glory and dominion to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb forever and forever. This is the Lamb of God. That's who Jesus was. So we are introduced. John tells us this is who Jesus would be, the Lamb of God. And he, of course, he did it through the cross. He did it because he had a perfect, sinless life. He was an unblemished lamb that he could do that. And and Peter gives us, I think, one of the best descriptions of what Jesus did in chapter 1, verse 18. He says, for you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from the fathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold. God didn't... Christ didn't purchase back our sin with something perishable like money, but with a precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without spot or blemish. That's what Christ did for us. That's who he is. And and so John introduced the Lamb of God to us. You you and I, we should have spent 
our eternity in hell because of what we did. But Christ, the Lamb of God, settled that for us. And because of our faith, we can be made right with God through our faith. That's a powerful thing to know about Jesus. The second thing that John tells us is that the Holy Spirit, that that when he saw Jesus in verse 32, he saw the Holy Spirit. Listen to how John described it, almost as if he could physically see this. I watched, and John testified, I watched the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he rested on him. I didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water told me, you see the Spirit descending and resting. He is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So when John, after John had baptized Jesus, he saw the Holy Spirit. Matthew's gospel describes it as a dove that came and sat down on Christ. But here John describes it as the Holy Spirit. It is God's Spirit. It is God that came and resided on Christ. And so he brought the Holy Spirit into the life of Christ. Now, it's real interesting. You, Why would Jesus need the Holy Spirit? He is God. But remember that when he was born in Bethlehem, he was a human being. He w- was a little baby. And so he is God, but he's a little baby. And so the Holy Spirit came to teach him the things that he needed to know on this earth. To teach us and to show us and to instruct us. And we have the Holy Spirit as believers. When Jesus said he was leaving the world, he told his disciples, he said, you don't need to worry because I'm going to, you're going to do greater things than we ever did when I was here. And, and that's because of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. And so you and I, we have God's Spirit living inside of us. We have God's power. We have God's instruction. That when Jesus said, I'll never leave you or desert you, he promised us the presence of God until he comes back again or until we go home with him. That's a great promise. And so we see the Holy Spirit appearing to to Christ here in the River Jordan. The Holy Spirit made a, a difference in the life of Jesus. It made a difference in the life of believers. It makes a change in us. At Pentecost, the, the disciples were terrified. They were hiding. They were uh, afraid of being arrested. When the Holy Spirit came on them at Pentecost, they were filled up with power. They began preaching. The church started. 3,600 people were brought into the church on the first day of preaching. What an amazing thing. And And then the church continued to grow. And people continue to be drawn because of the work of the Holy Spirit. You and I have that spirit available to us today. The third thing that Jesus did, or that that John the Baptist tells us about Jesus, is in verse 34. I have seen and testified that he's the Son of God. So he tells us that he has seen the Holy Spirit, he is the Lamb of God, and now he is the Son of God. And And so we see Christ as a sacrifice. We see him as the son of God. That's who he is for us today. And we can't miss that. A lot of people, and I would say everybody in this room today, believes in something about Jesus. You probably believe a lot of the things are true. Some people believe he's a good teacher. Some people believe he performed miracles. Some people believe that he's a good man. Some people believe that he was a prophet. Some people believe that he uh, that he even had wisdom from God. But do you believe these things about him, that he's the Lamb of God and that he's the Son of God? John understood exactly who Jesus was. He said over in John chapter 3, he said, he must increase and I need to decrease. 
He, he altered his life, changed his life for Christ. And so I want to ask you this morning if you've done that. If, if you've recognized that Christ is the Lamb of God that takes away your sin, that purchased your sin, that paid the price and the redemption cost of your sin, and, and made your justification with God possible, and that he's the Son of God. I saw a little, in the Baptist press, I saw a little article I want to share with you today. I thought it uh, says a lot about this. The witness and the message, that's really what it's about. Tiffany Brown pardoned her for laughing. When the following question was posed to her in a room full of other ministers' wives, did you ever think you would marry a preacher? (laughs) During the Good Cup event for ministers' wives held during the Tennessee Baptist Convention's meeting in November, the question served as a reminder of God's apparent sense of humor. At the time she met her husband, now pastor of the First Baptist Church in Trenton, Tennessee, Tiffany was a self-professed atheist, a feminist bartender. Tiffany was working her way through the University of Tennessee, Knoxville, where she met Jason, the self-described lukewarm Christian. He had asked her out three times before she agreed to date him. It was only going to be for one hour, she recalled. The one-hour date lasted a lot longer. The next day, she told her she told her stepmother that she had met her future husband. I never met somebody so transparent and genuine, she recalled. Not long after that, they began dating. So Tiffany met Jason's mother, Charlotte Bowen, a Southern Baptist IMB missionary nurse who had traveled to Knoxville with a pastor who had been injured in an accident. When I met her face-to-face, I was overwhelmed with how she was not like anybody I ever met. She had no judgment in her heart. She was not okay with me being an atheist, but the love that she showed me was no different than I'd been, was, so, was no different than if I'd been a Christian. They, too, developed a relationship that continued after Charlotte Bowen returned to Africa. Tiffany kept asking questions. Charlotte would answer them honestly, she recalled. Tiffany noted that her future mother-in-law explained that Jesus was alive and was what made her different because she had a real personal relationship with him every day. And though she was an atheist, Tiffany had Christian friends and had even attended church despite being raised in a home where going to church was discouraged. She knew the Christian language. I may have heard the same words from other people, but I never understood that Jesus was alive. Until I met somebody like my mother-in-law, he was obviously alive in her. And Tiffany began to read the Bible, and my heart began to change. She was sitting in a parking lot of a Knoxville business talking with Jason when God suddenly revealed to her that he was alive and real and that he would be the Lord of my life for the rest of my life. Tiffany said she looked over at Jason and said, Jesus is the Son of God, and I think I just got saved. (laughs) Later, that the couple were married in Africa while visiting Jason's mother. They returned to the hometown of Jones, uh, Jonesboro, Arkansas to live after their wedding and attending the Central Baptist Church where she was baptized. She recalled they were discipled well by their church. After attending the church for a year, Jason was asked to do pulpit supply at another church. He was asked to come back, and he did for two years. After then, I felt God was asking me to pray for my husband because he was going to surrender his life to a call to ministry. And she believes that God was giving her a heads up so she could pray for herself. I'm not preacher's wife material, she laughed. And 16 years later, which included seminary and other pastors, she admitted, I'm still not, but I pray every day that God will use me. She understands fully what the Apostle Paul said when he referred to himself as the chief of all sinners. She had a Damascus Road experience and remains grateful that Jason never gave up on her. After she turned him down for a date. (laughs) What a great testimony. So you have 
and I have, an important life to witness and to be a testimony to somebody else. And what a great message it is that we can proclaim through our life, through loving people and through caring for somebody that we know, maybe somebody that we care for a lot, that we can share with them that Jesus is the Lamb of God, that he came to the world to be your Savior and my Savior, that he taught us that we can have this forgiveness that he brings for faith in him. And that he's the son of God. And he loves us that much. I encourage you in whatever you do to have this kind of love and testimony and faith as you walk your daily life with other people. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for loving us and caring for us. Thank you for teaching us. Thank you for forgiving us when we don't deserve it. And so as we go into this time of invitation, Lord, I pray that you'll use these humble words and use the power of your, your word to touch our hearts today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.